Welcome to the Hills, all of our online community, all of you in person at North Richard Hills, at Keller, and at West Fort Worth. My name is Rick. I'm the senior teaching minister here. And we've been in a series for two months now called Let's Talk About Mental Health. And I'll be honest, I've looked forward to today, uh, the day that we end this series, because I, this has been the hardest series I've preached in years. It has been exhausting for me, not just in preparation, but in responding to all the wonderful uh, emails I have received. And yet, even as I say it's been exhausting, it has also been one of the most exhilarating series I've ever preached. And the response has been so rewarding and encouraging, and I thank you for that. I was honest, I started the series with great trepidation. I finished the series with great appreciation. For so many people, like my coworkers, I work with a great team of people. You could not do a series like this all by yourself. They created a resource page. They maintained the prayer rooms. They filmed the video testimonies. They promoted help and hope through our social media platforms. So I'm grateful for my coworkers. I'm grateful for all of you that have shared your journey toward better mental health with me. Uh, some of you have shared publicly to the whole church through video testimonies. Some of you have shared with community groups. Some of you have told your families for the first time. And the stories you've emailed me have been sobering, honoring, and amazing. And I want to thank you for trusting me with those kinds of stories. And I especially want to thank all of you in the last two months who have took intentional steps to pursue better mental health. You've called the doctor. You've made the appointment. You're seeing a therapist. You're taking some medicine. You're telling your community group, you're coming back to church. And for many of you, it's what you have stopped doing to pursue better mental health. That took great courage, and I'm proud of you. I want to thank you for the way you've shared this series. This might be the most shared series I've ever preached. The first couple of weeks, almost all the response was from people in our church. Now the bulk of the response I'm getting is from people outside of our church, People who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who heard about the series, you sent a link. And it's been amazing where God has taken this series. So thank you for talking and for sharing. And then finally, I just have to say thank you for the support you've given me. I've had so much prayer cover. And again, I'll say, can you tell when you're being prayed for? Yes, you can. You can feel it. And I've received so much verbal encouragement. The number one comment has been, thank you, Pastor. I've never been at a church that talked about mental health before, and I'm so glad you are. And so, the series comes to an end, and I have been overwhelmed and changed by it. I did not understand before how huge the mental health crisis among us actually is. In fact, I've come to the conviction there are two kinds of people. There are those who have experienced mental stress at some point in their lives, and there are those who lie. Because we've all been there. The struggle to maintain good mental health is real, and not talking is not working. I've said that every week, and I'll say it again. So we've talked. And even though the series is ending today, the conversation needs to continue. So I want to close the series asking the question, where do we go from here? And I'm going to spend most of my time talking about where we go congregationally, but I want to just begin by, again, 
challenging you. Where are you going to go personally in your pursuit of better mental health? So what I want to do is completely tongue-in-cheek. I'll admit it. But I want to pretend I'm answering this question. Pastor, what could I do to destroy my mental health? What could I do? Do you have any advice for how I could hurt my mental health? Well, yes, I do. Here's some things you could do. Number one, you could cut back on sleep. The data is irrefutable that our decline in sleep as a culture is impacting our mental health in a negative way. Do you want to hurt your mental health? Stay up late and fry perfectly good brain cells on inane television programming and screen time. Something else you could do? Never exercise or get outdoors. We are paying a high price for our sedentary lifestyles. In fact, just this week, I saw another study that says any kind of physical activity will help delay mental decline in seniors. And God created us to enjoy his creation. And so, just 15 minutes a day of sunlight on your face has a huge impact on your mental health. Do you want to get more mentally sick? Stay inside, stay sedentary, and never enjoy God's beautiful world. Another thing you can do, isolate yourself. Avoid people. Tell yourself that because you have a lot of contacts, you have a lot of friends. Keep believing the myth that watching other people's lives on social media means you have community. And while we're at it, ignore Sabbath. God created your body to function on regular intervals of rest. Ignore that. Cram your schedule as much as you can, one deadline after another, and leave no margin in your life to rest physically, mentally, and spiritually so you can reconnect to God. Here's what else you can do. Avoid opportunities to serve others. Make your life all about one go, my personal happiness. Never let it cross your mind that maybe you're put on this earth to be a blessing to other people. And while you're at it, cultivate ingratitude. Make yourself miserable every day, focusing on what you don't have instead of what you do have that is a blessing. And maybe most of all, disconnect from God. The ultimate source of truth, security, stability, and destiny. Now, again, I'm being completely facetious, but I'm doing so to make a point I've been making ever since January in our Soulful series. I think there is a reasonable explanation for the spike and crisis in mental health in our culture. And I'm going to contend again that so much mental anguish that many experience is simply the body's normal response to trying to adapt to an abnormal way to live. We have tried to normalize a toxic way of doing life. Go, 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 never sleep, constantly stay inside, stare at screens all day long, and think we're not going to pay a price for this. We're telling our bodies to get used to living in a way they weren't designed to live. And our bodies are rebelling. And the rebellion is beginning in the mind. 
And what we often do when that rebellion begins is make matters worse by self-medicating. I'll just have a couple of drinks every night to dull the edge. I'll, uh, I'll just binge on Netflix and get my mind off things. Or maybe I'll watch porn. Or maybe I'll just find something on Amazon to buy. And what we're doing is we're temporarily dulling our pain. But long-term, we're just making ourselves sicker. See, I think one sign of a mature person is they have the courage to regularly ask the question, is what I'm doing helping me move toward where I want to be? Is the way I'm doing life right now helping me become the person I want to become? Because here's what's true of all of us. We can't always choose our struggles, but we can always choose our strategies. Life is going to throw some hard things at you, and you don't always get to pick what it throws at you. You get to decide how you're going to respond. You see, wellness is not so much a destination as it is an approach to life. And as image bearers, we have the God-given capacity to imagine and pursue a future that is healthy, that has value, and that has meaning. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can exercise agency so we can cope in ways that bring Hope. And what is true for Christians is also true for congregations. And so, we've talked about where we could go as individuals. Well, where are we going to go from here as a church? When we started this series, I said we have three goals. To destigmatize having a mental health challenge. To be a place where we offer grace to fellow strugglers. And to encourage each other to take steps in the direction of health and faith. And hope. And so, with those goals in mind, I want to share with you three strategies we as a church can choose going forward. And the first is this we can choose to practice honesty and empathy. Because not talking is not working. Have you heard me say that before? Could we all say it one more time? Repeat after me. One, two, three. Not talking is not working. So let's choose honesty and empathy. Here's what that means. As fellow Christians, when we ask each other, how are you doing? It is no longer fine to say fine if that's not the truth. Talking about mental health challenges can no longer be taboo. We need to be honest to God and honest to each other. Because struggling with a mental health challenge does not mean you are a bad Christian. It means you're just a real person trying to navigate life in a really broken world. But it's hard to be real if the response you get is advice intended to fix you. So as we go forward, let's be sure that we don't trivialize or over-spiritualize someone else's mental health challenge. By trivialize, I mean we don't say, oh, it's no big deal. You just need to get over it. Think some happy thoughts. 
And we don't over-spiritualize by saying, you know, you just need to trust God and pray more. Instead, what we need to do is empathize. There's a special word for this in the New Testament. It's the first word in this verse. Encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. This word encourage appears over 100 times in the New Testament. It's a big deal. And do you know what the word literally means? It means to come alongside someone. The illustrate, let me tell a story I've told several times. So I'm in college. I've never been skiing in my life. It's that break between semesters at the holidays and a ski trip was planned. I signed up to go. It got canceled because there wasn't enough snow. I was disappointed. I go back to start the spring semester. It's the first week or two of the semester. And a big storm came through and dumped a lot of snow in New Mexico. And a few of my friends said, let's skip class a few days and go ski. I'm not saying you should skip class. Okay. I am saying if you went to college and you never skipped class to go on a trip with your friends, did you really go to college? So we wind up in New Mexico. I've rent some skis, and we spend the morning, me and three friends who've never skied before, on what they call the bunny slope at the bottom. And I'll be honest, it wasn't that hard. I might have fallen once or twice, but I got the hang of it. So we go to lunch, and we tell ourselves, we got this skiing thing down. Let's go to the top and conquer the mountain. Well, nobody told us how much steeper it is at the top. Nobody told us how much longer the runs are. Nobody told us how tired you get after a day of skiing, especially if you fall a lot. So we start down the mountain at 2 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, you're supposed to be off the mountain. We're only halfway down because every 20 yards, one of us falls, and it is so exhausting getting back up. I remember saying to my friends, y'all just go ahead and leave me. Just tell my mother and father that I love them, and y'all find my frozen body in the morning. I can't get up in one time. And you know what made it worse? Is that every so often a ski patrol would come by, time to get off the mountain, swish, 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 swish. And a minute later, you should be off the mountain now, swish, 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 swish. Let me tell you, if I could have reached one of them with my ski pole, I would have tripped them. <laughs> because I didn't need someone to tell me where I ought to be. I needed someone to come alongside and help me get there. That's what empathy does. So someone shares with you their struggle with mental health and empathy says, I am so sorry. Thanks for sharing. This must be so hard. How can I support you? See, our task is not to fix people. Our task is to represent Christ to people. And so again, Paul says, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Listen, to be patient means you don't see people as problems. You see people with problems. There's a lot of churches where you can go with a problem as long as you're silent about it. Or you can talk about your problem if the problem's in the past. But that just frustrates empathy and honesty. And the potential for healing. So here's the second strategy going forward as a church we can and should choose. And that is, we can choose to be an extra grace place. You see, one way to determine if a church values grace is to notice 
how they welcome people who need extra amounts of it. One thing about the Jesus movement that has always made it stand out in a performance-driven world is the way the Jesus movement champions the worth of people who tend to be devalued, like the unborn or the poor or the immigrant or the imprisoned or the disabled or people with mental health challenges. See, it's one thing to welcome the conversation. It's another thing to welcome people who are probably always going to need more from us than they will ever be able to give back. So one of the best things I did to prepare for this series was just to read some authors who have diagnosed mental health challenges. In one of the books the author wrote, here's what we need from a church. We need someone to help us see that our suffering has value. It's not completely pointless to have this struggle. We need assurance that our difficult lives have purpose. That even with our struggles, the world is a better place because we're in it. And most of all, we need to find a place to belong. In fact, probably the most sobering, poignant thing I read in all my research was this one sentence. Writing as a person who has a mental health challenge, the author said, People avoid us because we're different. And we become more different because we're excluded from the mediating benefits of living in community. I read a book called Not Quite Fine by an author named uh, Carlene Hill Byron. She is a very devout believer of Jesus, but she also has lived all her life diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And it has meant having a special relationship with her church. And I appreciate what she wrote. I'm part of the body. I may be a peculiar part, but I am a part. I have gifts to offer which can benefit the church, the world, or both. If the body chooses to overlook me, it's chosen to lose the use of whatever part God has designed me to be. Even if I'm as unlovely and invisible a part of the body as a bowel duct, the body loses a God essential function without me. I face challenges, most of which really aren't all that different from the challenges you face. They're experienced more deeply because of my mental health problems. And because they come to me with such strong emotions and unusual thoughts, it's taken me many years to learn how to manage my responses. I've been greatly helped by friendships with wise people who've practiced and developed the new skills I need. Many of those are people without significant mental health problems because it's hard to learn ordinary behavior from those who've yet to master it. God's people and God's word are powerful to give me and everyone life. I gain life among God's people when I'm welcome given opportunities to serve in the gifts God's given, and allowed to learn human living from other humans. God's people and God's word misused are powerful to deal me death. When you label my challenges as demons or name me as unsuited to be a part of the body you lead, you cast a shroud of fear and isolation over me. These are tools of the enemy, not of God. And finally, she writes, my clinicians and peer supports know more about how to manage my illness than the church does. 
and us as it should be. I don't expect my church to know about, as much about cancer or kidney disease as clinicians and peers would. I just expect my church to offer me the same kind of support it provides in all those situations. At the very least, sympathy and kindness can go a long way. See, people with extra grace demands really need healthy churches. But here's the thing. Healthy churches, if they're going to be healthy churches, really need people with extra grace demands. Because the healthiest communities are the ones that have a space for people who aren't always at their healthiest. Now, to illustrate that, I want to show you a picture of my favorite all-time small group. It's this one. <laughs> now, this is Winnie the Pooh and his friends. And you have to admit, if you know anything about this small group, it's a mess. Christopher Robin is probably the only healthy person in this small group. Think about it. Winnie has serious ADHD. Okay? Poor little piglet has generalized anxiety disorder. Eeyore is clinically depressed. Okay? Rabbit has OCD. You know he does. Al is a narcissist. Tigger has hyperactivity disorder. And sweet Kanga struggles with social anxiety. And yet they make such a great small group. You know why? Because they don't base acceptance on performance. They give each other extra grace. And isn't that how God treats us in Jesus Christ? Look at this verse with me from Romans. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. How did Christ accept you? Did Christ say, hey, when you finally get it all together, you can be a part of my team? Did Christ say, when you don't need any grace, I'll give you some. Accept each other the way Christ accepted you. Preparing for this series brought back a memory of my early years at this church sometime back. And there was a man in our church at that time who had a very serious mental health challenge. He, he had bipolar disorder. And when he came to church, he was typically in a manic phase. You could tell often just by the way he would move during worship, he was in a manic season. But this church loved him well. And one way we did was find ways to let him serve. Now, this is before COVID when we would pass trays for communion time and for offering time. And we would often ask this brother to help pass the trays. And I'll be honest, sometimes he did it awkwardly, but he did it. And so it's one Sunday, and we have passed the trays, and it's time now for all the people who passed to go and sit down. And I'm sitting ready to get up to preach. He walks up behind me, puts his big, strong hands on my shoulders, and starts to kiss me on the head. Now, you know I'm an introvert. I don't even like for my wife to do that. It was so awkward. And I'll admit, I was uncomfortable. And some of my friends noticed and smirked and sent me texts to that uh, point. So what did I do? Did I find him after church and say, that was totally inappropriate. That made me feel weird. Don't ever do that again. Of course I didn't. 
Because I want to be at a church where things like that can happen. I want to be at a church where people who need some extra grace now and then feel welcome. I want to help build a church that gives extra grace to people because the day is coming when I'm going to need a church that will give me some extra grace. So what's what we could choose to do? We can choose that we will be a place that makes space for extra grace. And one more thing. We can choose to offer ways to pursue health and hope. Don't send me an email saying, I'm glad this series is over. It's time for you to stop talking about mental health and start talking about the gospel. I've been talking about the gospel. You see, the ministry of Jesus had a profound impact on the mental health of the people he blessed. Think about it. He's creating community. He's helping people find their identity in God. He's giving people meaning and value. He's dispelling shame and dispensing hope. What's he doing? He's creating a community that has better mental health. And that's what we want to be. And so here are some things we're going to offer as a church going forward. We have a counseling and wellness ministry. It's amazing. In fact, their appointment schedule has tripled since this series started. And they're connected to a network of awesome doctors and counselors and therapists who are faith-based. And we can get you some help. And every week at our church, we offer support groups for grief, for addiction, for various kinds of trauma. We have Celebrate Recovery that not only blesses people with mental health challenges, but also blesses people who have coped with their challenges in unhealthy ways. We uh, have community groups you can join to find family and ways that you can serve to find purpose and meaning. You may not know our Next Gen ministry trains all of our key volunteers that work with teens and kids. Trauma-informed care equipping. So that they can recognize and be a safe place for a kid who's in a very tough place emotionally. But most of all, here's what we can do. We can offer the gospel. I believe medication and therapy are very, very helpful. But I believe ultimately everyone needs to find Jesus that he is the source of the truest kind of freedom, the strongest sense of identity and mission, and the surest hope for tomorrow. I would betray my calling if I didn't say, ultimately, the best thing we can offer anyone is to get to know Jesus better. Because only Jesus can give a supernatural strength and help. That's what he promised. A peace that you can't explain, but you can't explain it away. Remember last week, Courtney Walling sharing her anxiety journey, and she was in a particularly difficult time because of family trauma. And Taylor asked her, Courtney, how are you staying so calm? And she said, I asked God for peace, and he gave it to me. I love Paul's prayer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation the Lord be with you all. Most of all, as a church, we can offer the gospel and help everyone know Jesus better. That's what happened to Julia. I want to close our series with one more testimony that I know 
is going to encourage you. So watch this. When I was younger, I've always just kind of understood myself as being a burden and being unloved, unlovable. These things, I, I began believing that since I was a young kid all the way um, really up until this past year, I would say. In high school and in college, there are two specific times I remember I had plans to end it all. Like it was just, that's where I was at. I was at rock bottom and I was laying in my bed just sobbing and I heard this voice and it said, Julia, go to sleep and tomorrow's a new day. It was the calmest voice I had ever heard and I knew I wanted more of that. And so I just kind of continued to wander throughout college, but I still, I remembered, I remembered that voice and I knew there was more to that. When I moved down here to Texas, one of the first things that was super important to me was finding a church. And I came across the hills and I'm sitting in a church that could probably hold the same amount of people as a population in my hometown. So that was pretty overwhelming. But I remember hearing someone on the stage that morning say, it's a big church, but if you get involved, it will feel small. And so I did, I just kind of started getting involved. I decided to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I just said yes to various things. And it led to saying yes to being baptized. And so in March, I was baptized. And ever since then, like there's been a fire inside of me that has just, it's gone crazy. It's been so good. Professionally, I work in healthcare. Been a part of EMS for going on eight years now. I love my job. I love what I do. Unfortunately, there are some hard days. And I have seen, not only lived my own mental health struggles, but I have seen mental health struggles in youth all the way through adults. And it comes from so many different places. Like there's so much hurt in this world. Working with that and, and, and working with folks that are also struggling is another reason I feel led to share my story because it just brings light to the situation. Since my baptism, when people do open up about mental health struggles, it has been cool to be able to be willing to open up and say, hey, I struggled too, and, and there's a hope. We live in a really hard world, and I just encourage people to step out. Just don't hold it in. If, that, if there's like one solid message, I just, I just want people to step out. Every age and stage, like just, it's never too late. It is never too late. It's never too late to be baptized. It's never too late to step out and get help. You're not beyond help. Um, all these lies, like they're lies. If it's harmful to you, it's a lie. And the Lord wants you to know the truth. The Hills helped me find a counselor when I got down here. Like there's a, a lot to choose from. And that is an amazing ministry that we have. I'm so thankful to have found a church with support like that. And I'm super thankful for Pastor Rick being willing to talk about this in the hills coming around him as well and just supporting it because really that is what ignited me to realize that talking about this was so important and I've just been praying that my story will uh, touch others and that they'll want to reach out and like Pastor Rick keeps saying not talking is not working and that's so true so here I am talking about it
Thank you, Julia, for sharing your story with us. You know, I, uh, I've been changed by this series. I've been reminded nobody gets a life with no challenges. Nobody gets to go through life and say, well, that wasn't hard. But I'll be honest, while we all have crosses to carry, I don't understand how God distributes them. Granted, I think God distributes crosses fairly, but not equally. I don't know why some people struggle with mental health challenges more than others will ever have to. I don't know why some people's mental health challenge is in the past, and for other people, their challenge will always be in the present. I do know the world has fallen, life is hard, and that we get to choose by the way we respond to our respective challenges what truth it is we're going to witness to. Let me say again. The way we respond to the tough things life throws at us is our ultimate testimony to what we think is ultimate truth. And I want my life to witness to the truth that Jesus is Lord, that sin and death have been defeated, and that a new heaven and a new earth are coming. That's why I love the story I preached on on Easter Sunday. You remember there was a man and he was in physical and mental torment. And Jesus healed him. And the people that knew that man, it says they came to Jesus and they saw the man sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And I love that. Because I believe This is a foreshadowing that what Jesus did for this man, he's going to do for everybody. Let me put it this way. When Jesus is revealed, all our minds will be finally and fully healed. Because none of us are in our right mind. There's not a single day I live, I don't have to constantly fight thoughts wanting to get into my head that I don't want to be there. None of us are in a right mind. None of us have the capacity to imagine what the new heaven and new earth is going to be like when we are finally and fully healed. Imagine, can you just imagine that every thought you have is pure and noble? That lies and distortions can't get into your head anymore. That every impulse you have is just to love. Here's what I'm saying. Someday, we will all have the mind of Christ. And so when we talk about mental health, let's make sure that is part of the conversation. Pray with me. 
So God, I pray you'll take this message. I pray you'll take this whole series and bring glory to your name through it. Take it wherever it could help anyone. Because we want people to find hope and health in Jesus. That Jesus only leads us to what is good. And so God, please take this message into our church and help us to lead people to Jesus. Jesus, we're ready for you to come back. We're ready to be finally and fully healed. But until then, help us to keep our thoughts on you and help us encourage others to think about you too. We pray in your name. Amen.